In a world where Republicans and Democrats work together, things might actually get done. Every day in Charlotte, North Carolina, two council members deal with the city's most pressing issues, like potholes. They don't follow the rules, they make them. Those two council members are Larkin Eggleston and Tarek Bakari, and we join them now for another episode of R&D in the QC. Episode 15, R&D in the QC primary endorsements, special guest Vi Lyles drops by, and we talk about some controversial rezonings. That's right, folks. Episode 15, R&D in the QC. We are back, and we are somewhat live right now. Larkin, welcome back. We're not live at all. We discussed this a couple weeks we ago. We did. We did. We did. Well, it's live we, right now for are, you and I. Yes, but for no one else. That's right. So we have a bit of a unique circumstance that I have to explain this week. Uh, we are a kerfuffle, if you will. Yes, indeed. We are, um, we are uh, recording. It's about 4 o'clock in the p.m. right now. So we're actually recording before we go into the council meeting. And this is one of those unique circumstances where my son, Chase... You all, uh, for the long-time listeners, have heard him on... Happy birthday, Chase. He is turning five today. Hope you feel better, little buddy. And he had a little, some, he, he was a little, woke up a little sick this morning, so messed up some of his school, preschool plans. So I have decided to put uh, family first here, Larkin, and I'm going to go to our meeting. But after we vote, I'm going to leave before the public hearings and um, and go have dinner with uh, with him and the fam. I'm thinking the acorn didn't call, fall far from the tree, and he just faked sick this morning to get out of school on his birthday. Which, if so, mad props. It's Chase. possible he probably had one of those like light bulbs right next to him, the old Ferris yeah. Bueller tricks and stuff. He's probably driving in a Ferrari around. He's in a parade. That's it. That's it. Well, he is five today, so big day for me. Gonna spend some time with the fam. But what are y'all doing for dinner? Uh, you know, I think his favorite food spaghetti. So we're eating spaghetti. All right. Well. He, he got a, a Kindle this year. Going to play uh, on a Kindle. Big day for Chase. Happy Big birthday, day. Chase. Thank you. So what do we got? All right. Well, we got a couple of things. So first, we decided with the early voting starts on Thursday. Hopefully you've all updated your registrations. You're ready to go. You've done your research on your candidates. And that's going to start Thursday. So at the Hal Marshall Annex Uptown. And we've decided to do something unique here on R&D and the QC. We can't have such a great base of listeners and and not want to help give some of our favorite candidates the R&D and the QC bump. So this episode is about R&D and the QC endorsements primary edition. All right. So the way we decided we would tackle this is... That I'm sorry if we start laughing. So, yeah, Councilwoman what, Mayfield has now pressed her face, pressed against, her face the against the glass. It's <laughs> great. See, this is what happens in live recordings. We need to get curtains. <laughs> uh, so, back to the RDs yes. and the QC bump. We decided that we would each pick. So, there's only so many competitive primaries, anyhow. Um, we decided we would each pick one person from our party and give them the R&D and the QC bump. Instead of trying to go through every race and, and choosing between uh, multiple worthy candidates, whatever the case, uh, we each get to pick one person from our party who has a competitive primary, uh, which is May 8th, early voting starting this Thursday, 
and give them the bump, give them a little shout-out. So we're going to let Tarek go first. Oh, you're going to let me go first. Thanks. Well, there were only two real races on the our side of the aisle that have primaries at this point. You don't get to mention both of them. I don't get to mention both. That's right. I'm only going to mention one. So I've decided to pick um, my personal friend and and a guy that um, has always been a great friend to me, Robert Pittenger, who's running against Mark Harris, good guy in the community, um, has definitely done a lot of positive work. But uh, I I personally know Robert very well. Um, For those of you out there who who have known him, he's been a fixture around here for a long time. Some folks, you know, I don't find a lot of people that are neutral on Robert. A lot of people either strongly like him and consider him a friend or are strongly in opposition to him. And and the reason I've picked Robert in this primary is, you know, Robert, um, he's he's a guy who works really hard and is passionate about a few topics that I also happen to be passionate about. His work on cybersecurity and the anti-terrorism um, uh, committee work that he does, that he chairs, very important. The work he's put in on domestic violence um, and particularly um, uh, uh, human trafficking. That's been something that he has really championed and is a much larger problem than I ever realized uh, uh, here, even in our own area. So Robert Pittenger is going to be my R side of the R&D uh, primary endorsements, and I encourage you to take a look at them. You know, I, I know, I, what's your commentary? We were looking at the fundraising. There, there are some concerns here because he is in a heated, the most heated Republican primary that exists. They're going to be spending a ton of money. Though it looks then, like Pittenger has significantly outraised his primary opponent, uh, Mark Harris. And the polls have been very strong for him as yeah. well I in think, the primary. I think Pittenger, uh, I think he's a safe bet for this primary. He's going to have a very competitive general election as a, there's a Democrat there running who's raised a, a boatload of money. Uh, but I I think Pittenger's, uh, Pittenger's probably probably a safe one for for this primary election. And, and if he wasn't safe before now, you just gave him the R&D of the QC bump. Yeah. So. And, and I'm assuming when we do our general election uh, endorsements, you, you'll join me in getting behind him. Uh, I'll join you in talking about that race. But we, <laughs> we won't be talking about it from the same no, side. It's going to be a crazy competitive general, too, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's going to be something to watch. But I think so, you just put him across the finish line for the primary, so he can go ahead and, and write that off and start yeah. focusing on uh, Done. if Spend he's got no any more. chance of beating our Democrats. That's it. So play. who do you got? Who did you do decide? Because you had a lot more options. Yeah, we as Democrats run people in every race, um, so that does make <laughs> it a lot more complicated for me to have to pick one person. Because, mm. for instance, we've got two people running for district attorney, three people running for sheriff. Y'all didn't run anybody on either of those. Um, I'm going to avoid those sure races. Did. I'm going to avoid those. Well, <laughs> Continue. I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid those races for now, um, though I've got some feelings. So you're but going we only county to, commission. Only had to pick one. I'm going county commission. Um, my good friend Ray McKinnon, Reverend Ray McKinnon, mm-hmm. is running for county commission at large. And there's actually a couple of good people running for county commission at large. But we made the rule: you can only talk about one person. I'm picking Ray. So Ray and I got to know each other um, well when he was the president of the Young Democrats. I served on the board with him that year. He's a member of the Charlotte Housing Authority's Commission. He's been on the Opportunity Task Force uh, Committee. He's a reverend, a Methodist preacher and reverend in this community. Uh, he and his wife, Kelly, are foster parents uh, to some amazing young boys. He really has got a servant's heart and I think is, uh, you know, you, you made reference to um, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, I think, saying people are really polarized about, about your guy. 
I don't think people are polarized about Ray. Ray speaks his mind, and I think sometimes uh, that can that can rub people the wrong way. But at the end of the day, I think people respect uh, the candor with which he speaks about the, the issues that matter, um, how real he is with people. Um, he's somebody you can always count on to tell you where they stand on something, whether it's what you want to hear or not. And I think we need more of that. I think you and I have tried to be that on city council, um, even though things aren't maybe always what people want to hear. We tell them the truth. We tell them where we stand and why we stand there uh, and raise that type of person. I think county commission needs some new blood the way that city council did. I think he is, um, we know in one of the district seats, there's going to be a new representative because we've got a retiring member, but I think Ray is probably our best opportunity to get some new blood on county commission other than that. And I think would be uh, incredibly able and I'd love working across the, uh, across the floors with him as it were. Yeah. I've I've gotten to know him several times over the last year or so. And, and, you know, I I was impressed. I I think he's a, he's a, well, uh, you know, very thoughtful guy and, um, and uh, that's a good choice you made. So, there. and that's if you want to check out more about him, McKinnonformec.com. Does he have a? Is this a tough road for him? I haven't looked at that race too closely, but I know he's up against three incumbents. So the, yeah, the general election. There's there's one Republican. Uh, I don't think with much name ID or, or money. So it really is going to be about the Democratic primary in that race. And I think um, there's a couple of there's at least two people who are going to be competitive outsiders. Yes, competing with three incumbents. So. Uh, it's going to require knocking off an incumbent, but as several of us showed on city council last year, that can be done, and, and he's certainly done the groundwork, I think, to put himself in a position to do it. Yeah, great. So um, before we move to the next topic, um, uh, hello, Mayor. Good to see you, Mayor. We can call Mayor, her come, in. come on in real quick. Oh, How are you everybody. doing? Special guest. Good. Special guest. Podcast. What is the QC City doing this today? Is, this is R&D in the QC. Well, guess what? We didn't really have a guest for today, but now oh, we do. No. <laughs> Madam Mayor, right welcome. right now, so That's it. everything so we you just, say is on the record. We, 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 so since you stopped by, um, what's on your mind right now? What's I the number what, one why thing? Why don't we let her, if you've got like five minutes instead of just two, Perfect. why don't we five let minutes. her do what we just did if she wants to? Ooh, you can is, pass. <laughs> we just each got to pick one person from our respective parties to endorse for the primary and that's running in a competitive primary. She's like, uh, you need to give me a heads up on this one. Let's just tell her who we picked. Who did you pick? Well, uh, why don't you guess? Who do you think Tarek picked? There's <laughs> only like three competitive Republican primaries. I don't know. In Charlotte I picked area. my personal friend, Robert Pittenger. And, oh, and, um, yes. So Tarek and then Larkin, over Mark Harris. And, and then Larkin decided, because we decided we'd only pick one person mm-hmm. on each side. And then Larkin? I took Ray McKinnon. County Commission at large. Oh, that's great. Ray's a good that's guy. Great. So, you know, we, we're trying to play it a little bit safe here, mm-hmm. uh, given the fact. So, we will not put you on the spot okay. like Larkin tried. Yeah, he's, he's real my, edgy. My practice is generally to let the parties decide yeah. and let the voters decide. And, and I vote. And that's what I would tell people to do is get out and vote. That's mm-hmm. the most important thing. So, you have recently been uh, in the news a bit about... Uh, the position of 50 million bucks. And, you know, obviously we all talk about housing a lot. You and I talked about it the other day. We talk about it almost every day around here because it's that important. Um, You know, I guess it would be great for the the listeners here to know, where's your head at as you're evolving towards the end of this budget cycle? You know, where my head is, is that I worked on housing in the city when I was hired as a young analyst. And today, 40 years later, I hate to say that, but it is, you we're started, still talking. You started when you were seven. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I love you, Larkin. Um, but 
but I think about this and we've done nothing but talk about it. We've made some incremental improvements around homelessness. We've changed our entire attitude. And what I believe is that the council has a responsibility to let the community take make that decision. Mm. That if the, if the community would be willing to vote for $50 million, then they're saying we accept it. And then we would just have the responsibility of implementing it well. So this is where I think that sometimes when the people will lead, the leaders will follow. Mm -hmm. And that's why 50 million is so important. We've got a big retreat coming up on Friday for the Housing and Neighborhood Development Committee. Um, and I know a lot of that time will be spent on talking about the different options and different strategies we can employ to try to tackle this problem. And it's going to take multiple strategies. Yeah. This $50 million housing bond would be one of those. I've recently been reading more about how um, a developer in our community, Clay Grubb, has employed a tactic in Chapel Hill uh, through a master lease type of program. What are your thoughts on how that might work here in Charlotte? Is it something that's really been done much in our community, or do you think that it's um, transferable to our community? I'm not so sure it's completely transferable because with his master lease, he's got pretty much an, uh, a different population, a different dynamic. He's not talking about people that have issues on credit or issues that are poverty. They're basically um, doing students and people that have retired in Chapel Hill in that development. This is Glenn Lennox, I think. So what I think is important here is that we need to have pathways, multiple pathways for people to be successful in um, having a place to live. Taking something from Tark who said we ought to approach both the supply side mm -hmm. and the demand side. And I think that we've got to ask people in this community which would they participate in and partner with the private sector, with our um, philanthropic communities to do that. Because some things, for example, you talk about the supply side of it. Um, if we could actually stop evictions by having someone, you know, just two or three lawyers to go to court to say, this is what happened. If we have people in a crisis around a health issue and they lose their entire home to, because they can't pay all of the rent at one time, would it be appropriate for us to have a crisis um, fund that would actually say, you can verify you had a health scare or you were working 40 hours a week and for the next six weeks your employer has said I'm bringing you to 24 but when he ramps back up practical solutions to practical problems mm -hmm. and that's why we need to raise this money we can't build our way out of this and so we're going to have to prevent people from being homeless and we're going to also have to build for those that can't have it so when you talk to me about the 30 percent the federal government used to do all of that I'm not so sure that we have ever had the ability to have a real conversation around how you could answer the question of the 30%. So that takes a little bit more thinking, but all of this is on the table. Yeah, well, so, but look, you and I started to have this discussion yesterday. I met with Pam Weidman earlier today as I'm continuing to try to learn. Both you and Pam have forgotten more about affordable housing dynamics than I've learned. But with that being said, what we've learned, especially over the last couple weeks, right, mm -hmm. I just feel like, one, I agree with you totally. This isn't a problem we can solve on our own. Two, um, you know, I, I, I also agree with you that in this dynamic, when we try to solve it, we cannot pit portions of our community in need against one another. And, I, and when you said that to me, I thought about it a little bit for the next day or two, and I realized you're absolutely right. We have to be cautious there. But I'm still at this point where once we learned those data points of, and I know that they're still loose, but when we thought of 80% and below as the bucket we were trying to solve and there's a crisis there, that was one thing. But now when you break it into those three segments of 30% and below is the real crisis. 
30 to 50, still a problem. But 50 to 80, there are small dynamics that probably need to be tweaked there. But if you do the rough math, there's still 25,000 unit surplus. Now I know you're saying it, there's a slippery slope to pit different parts of, the, of that group in need against each other. But where I'm starting to kind of fall out and I'm still trying to research and understand is if we just put $50,000 in a, in a trust, we can't build and it's not viable to build this area that's most in need and most in crisis. So like I, this is where I'm kind of struggling as it relates to, yes, it's a crisis and yes, we need to address it. But the land cost and the way that financing works today is just so prohibitive in order to get to everywhere we really need it, you gotta do 20 of another thing just to get one there. So I, I just feel like we're not even gonna make a dent. Even if we throw 50, $100 million at this challenge right now, will we even make a dent in, in the long run? I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm struggling still. That was a lot in there. There's a lot in there. There was a lot in there. Tara's questions are never short. <laughs> no. Not I'm not even sure I mean, there's a question. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that what I would say to you is that if we don't start now, is it going to get any better? And do you want to live in a city where we have nobody that can come to work on a regular basis without building a new highway or a new transit system not, so that they're right. there? So if we want to do this, so so what if we can't possibly solve the problem? But if we can be a model for this kind of resolution, I think this is what the country's looking for. And then there are other things that we can come back and do. We just have a moment in time right now mm. to show that we can do some things. And then can't we become a national model? We don't apply to national foundations. And we don't work with national folks that are across the country trying to deal with this. But more importantly, and I'm going to say this very sincerely, if we don't start today, what generation are we leaving behind? And are you willing to live with that? No, no, And that's not. just where I feel like step up, do something. Now, there's a lot about saying this, but I believe in incremental change and balance. And that's why I say we don't have to say that we're going to build all of 50 and 30. We have to say that we're going to address the 80s because they are the people working every day. And those are the people that maybe on that second job, you know, they could cut back and then maybe somebody else can actually come in and do that work. Right now you have people working 16 hours a day to live at 80. Hmm. What if they actually had a job and they could read to their kids at night like we do? And one job was enough. Or maybe just a weekend job was enough. So this is a, a human dynamic. I wish I could say it in all the numbers, but it is a human dynamic. Well, one thing that we talked about a week or two ago was that maybe part of that 80% and 100% AMI conversation, we need to start, and I know we do this through Home Charlotte and things like that, maybe we need to start shifting more of that discussion to how do we transition those folks into home ownership exactly. in an affordable way, which then frees up that affordable rental unit yeah. for Agreed. someone to step That's into. That's exactly totally the agree. point about totally agree. You know, we have the NACA group that we work with, our house Charlotte down payment money. They will approve you in a day or they will work with you until you are ready to be approved. That's the kind of effort that moves people out of that 80. And some of them Creates are living in 60. Exactly. I, I completely agree. And, and I, I feel like that's more effective of a program for us to focus in that 50 to 80 area while we figure out ways to better, more effectively deploy capital in the 30 to 50 and the 30 and below. Because with 25,000 units surplus there, we know there's not 25,000 units just sitting open waiting for someone, but there are folks that are at higher levels of income that are there. And if we can help them 
move on to the American dream and here's home ownership opportunities and right. things like so that. Not only then we their, spend the money where the crisis their is. Their need for housing, but their need for economic mobility because they're able to tap into the growth and the yeah. and the value uh, the value being added to real estate in this community. So what else is on the top of your mind, Mayor? Right now, the zoning meeting tonight, let's mm -hmm. just get through it. We've got a lot of contested hearings. Yeah. Over five, we went up from four to, at lunchtime to five. Um, and Don't also being very <laughs> careful about um, looking at our infrastructure. I think the thing that I am concerned about is working well. Um, you and I had a constituent email mm -hmm. about you know some things that really needed to be handled and we've got to continue to invest in our infrastructure which is why the 50 million is important because the capacity that we have right now to do this to do infrastructure improvements is just as necessary as embarking on one of our priority issues and infrastructure is something that I think everyone depends on and they depend on us and that's our real role here well, that, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, whether you know the mayor deeply or not, you can see uh, just how polished and well-versed she is, can jump into the podcast <laughs> with about a sec, walking down the hall and have a conversation about these important yeah, and challenging things. If you, if, if, if you like it, send me a note. If you didn't like it, call Larkin and Tark. Thank you for Bye. joining us, Madam Mayor. That's the benefits, Tark, of having a dorm-like set of offices. Yes, where exactly. We're you all stop packed by, on we top have of the each conversation. Other. That's we fantastic. Can see people walking by the window or yes. pressing their face against the window like Councilwoman Mayfield was. Any she, thoughts on she didn't come in. Any thoughts on uh, what you just heard there? Well, no, I mean, I think, I think she's spot on. And actually, that's, um, again, there's so much of this where you can't just be so caught up in thinking that you understand the problem or understand the solution that you're blind or, or deaf to, to other ideas. Because I don't, I don't think I'd stop to think about the fact that, um, that there's people in 80% AMI housing that potentially are in that housing because they're working two jobs. I mean, certainly I realize there are many people in this community that work two jobs to get by, but I hadn't really considered the fact that, that even someone who's able to afford that housing because of the work they're doing, the work they're doing is likely coming in, in many cases at the expense of the time they spend with their family or the time that they're able to continue their education or, or, or whatever else they might be doing with that time. So again, that's, there's, there's so many different, and that's why you have to, we have to look at data, but we also have to look at, at the human, the anecdotal human stories, because while they might not be reflective of the data, they are someone's reality, and, and more than likely, they're, they're many people's reality, and we've got to consider the, the, different, the different human impacts that all of this has. I, I don't disagree with that, but I, sometimes I feel like we get overly caught up in anecdotal human stories, and you know, we're, are we being as effective? We keep saying we have to be innovative. The old, same old way of doing things can't be solved, but then at the end, we come back to let's throw a huge sum of money at land. And I mean, that's the old way of doing things. So when I, when, when I see, uh, uh, I just pulled this out of my pocket, a constituent gave it to me last week, this concept that Tempe is doing right now, um, where the city council uh, and others, it's not tiny homes. It's this new concept. I don't know if you've, you've even heard of it. I haven't explained it to you or shared it to you yet, but humble homes or micro estates where it takes some of those things, but basically they can create a home ownership opportunity that's under $130,000 to buy. That's an example of us battling 50 to 80% AMI without using uh, the, these, these trust dollars and bonds and things like that. But I just... Uh, the other concept we were going to talk about or topic we were going to talk about is last week, since our last meeting, we, we had a, a budget workshop, our third one. 
And that's where, when we talked about stormwater, I brought up that concept for the, the manager to discuss, which is we, we can't go and raise taxes right now if we're gonna be responsible and, and meet all these needs. We have to reprioritize in the existing budget. So my idea there, and this will be the transition to you and what you thought was, let's take, um, let's take what we were, have been talking about many times in this episode of stormwater backlog, over a billion dollars, all these things, and not just think about how do we stop doing C's, let's get out of maybe thinking about B's as well. All these things that are on people's personal property, that because of 25 years ago and an EPA mandate that came out, we decided to make a bit of a bigger government, if I might use my R side of our R&D uh, analogy. And then all of a sudden people started saying, well, oh, you're taxing me, you're giving me fees for this. Allow me to come in and get on your list to come solve the sinkhole that's in my yard that you didn't cause. So while I'm not saying that people on those lists, it's not valid and this is not an important decision that we have to make. What I'm saying is there's a fine line between what we must do and what we can do. You can, as government, give me an insurance policy and tax me more that when I have foundation problems or when my paint starts peeling, that you'll come in and solve that for me. You can do that. You don't have to do that. So my idea again was this all hits you and I and everyone else here that pays taxes that come to us in the majority bulk through our property tax. And while it may be, here's an enterprise fund, and here's this general fund, here's it, at the end of the day, I'm paying X, right? So if you can reduce that drastically and go smaller government on that side and increase things that can go to the general fund and give me a little bit back so I get a net tax reduction and now you can monetarily make this stuff work in the general fund to fully fund the officers and what we need there and their requests and start hitting some unique non kind of trust fund um, throwing money at land costs in the affordable housing challenge we have and really get down with groups like Away Home and the 30% and under AMI, why wouldn't you do that? You know what I like about you most, Ark? I, I, I'm very concise and to the point. Your brevity. <laughs> <laughs> so if I wanted to sum all that up, I, no, I mean, I do, I do think that ultimately if, if Charlotte suddenly got some huge windfall of revenue, yeah, these are we'd like to do all of these things. But at the end of the day a big part of, and maybe the hardest part of our job is you have to prioritize things that are all important. None of these things are unimportant. And so we have to decide, uh, and, and voters sent us here to be the ones to help decide which ones are more important than others. And so if the question is, if, if you come up with a plan, if the manager comes up with a plan that says, we think we can cut back on what we're doing on non-critical stormwater projects, and we think by doing that, we can do more on the housing side of things. That's a trade I'll make. Um, again, you know, I'd, I'm always hesitant to say, yes, I'd vote for that because you can't ever know that you're going to vote for something until you see all the details sure. of it. But as a loose concept, if I can trade non-essential stormwater repairs for critically essential uh, housing answers, then I'm making that trade. Um it's up to the manager to make that work. So I applaud the idea on your part. I know the manager will do his due diligence to, to try to make the numbers work to satisfy all those all those needs or all the all of that idea. But um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you, we either can't do everything or we have to raise taxes. Right. And I assume that the average citizen would rather us cut back on some of the nice-to-haves to tackle the have-to-haves 
rather than jacking up their taxes to try to fulfill all of that. Right. And are there 5,000 people out there that will be impacted negatively by that kind of decision? Yes. But you have to go back to how many people are we going to impact with the things we must do, not can do? And then separately, how much of that was our own fault for bigger government getting in this space? And, you know, I, it, it, it does raise an important question, which is, well, you, you started, you know, giving people fees and taxing them. Well, so it's not as well, easy of, of a... Day, if, if somebody's negative impact is they have a gully running through their backyard, or on the flip side, the negative impact is someone is unable to afford housing, mm. that's that's pretty easy for me to rank. Um, so again, if, if forced to choose, and, and, and maybe we, and oftentimes we are, um, that's not a hard choice for me. So um, tonight's a zoning night. Uh, what just either on tonight's agenda or things that are coming to a head? Do you, do you have any uh, controversial or interesting rezonings in your district? Um, I have a couple. I have a couple that have opposition on the hearings. I have a couple that have uh, staff not in support. Um, so I'll mention two of those briefly. One of them is a project that's happening between Third and Fourth Street uh, on Baldwin. And it's right near now Novant, but formerly Presbyterian Hospital, CPCC. Um, if, if any of you are like me and relate everything to a restaurant, it's mm-hmm. on the side of the 88 China Bistro. <laughs> best delivery that delivers to Plaza Midwood, in case anyone's wondering. Um, best Chinese delivery, that is. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a very tall building they proposed, a 290-foot building, which catches a lot of people off guard at first glance. Um, it's not in any residential neighborhood, but it's adjacent to the Cherry and the Elizabeth communities, um, both of which have very mixed feelings about it. Um, so in this case, I think the, and again, none of this stuff is ever black and white in terms of easy decision making, but I think what we have to determine is, do we want a more iconic, um, really something that's built in a way that is architecturally significant, is iconic, is um, contributing significantly. Not a gray to the, box. Not another right. gray box. Well, and, and again, if if people are paying more to, to build this building, to occupy this building, if there's more revenue coming from this building, that all contributes to the tax base. That's all revenue that we can use to tackle the problems we just finished talking about. Um, so are we maximizing that asset? Are we creating something that's interesting and significant, not just blah and bland and um so there's a trade-off there and I've, I've told some of these neighborhoods i've said you've got to figure out where that find that balance is for you between uh, in their case the thing that a lot of them are pushing is is height reduction versus how you know to what quality is the building how do you wrap your mind around when the community because height reduction literally anything that's tall i feel like we always have pushback of it's too tall how do you how do you wrap your mind around you know, basically taking what we've heard in the last day or two on this, uh, you know, to heart and, and assuming it's true, when some when a plan is designed the way it is now that is consistent with the area plan, which we don't see that a whole hell of a lot, to be honest, and the traffic uh, trips they've they've added have been mitigated by the um, by the changes they've made. How, how do you wrap your mind from a governance perspective into I mean, I know you, we are the end voice of the community. But we're also supposed to point back to the plans that were put in place. Yeah, I think um, one thing that 
you know, I'll give kudos to, to all parties involved, staff, petitioners, and the neighborhoods. Um, a lot of times as these come through, the, the benefit of having a hearing and then not deciding for another month is it gives all of those parties more time to collaborate and, and come to a conclusion in a place where everybody's a little more satisfied. So I will say I feel like in the four months we've been here, we've seen a lot that were more contentious during the hearing than they ultimately were by the time it got to the decision. Um, and so I hope that's the case with this one. I think that the petitioner is more than willing to um, try to make some extend some olive branches to those communities, do some things that will really positively impact those communities and the city as a whole. Um, so I hope that by the time this comes to us for a decision, more of that has been worked out and it's not as contentious. Um, the other one I'll mention for tonight is a residential development over in Optimus Park. And staff is opposing this one. Um, and I haven't totally made up my mind yet, but I'm, I'm probably leaning the other way because, you know, and I mentioned this in our lunch briefing today right now what you've got is a, a single home an affordable home on that site but it's a site that is on north davidson street it's right between the greenway and the light rail um, it's less than a mile from uptown and so this is a this is a neighborhood that's that's quickly changing in uh, some ways in a positive way some ways in a negative way in terms of displacing longtime residents so i would contend that the, probably the two realistic options for this site five years from now are that someone's torn it down and built a McMansion, which is happening all around that within a mile radius of this site in other neighborhoods. Um, and it's a $550,000, 3,000, 3,500 square foot house um, that just dwarfs all the other more modest homes in that community. And to me, that's kind of a crime against that, that neighborhood. Or in this case, you're talking about more of a, a middle density, mid-sized townhomes, five on the site, one of which would be uh, preserved as an affordable house for sale through the uh, Home Charlotte program. So you're replacing one affordable home with one affordable home and four market rate homes. Um, you know, again, I'm always a more of a proponent of, of density along the light rail. Um, I think that's how you make infrastructure like that successful or transit like that successful. Um, it does lock in affordability on one of those units. I just don't think, you know, I don't know what the other option is. I think those are the two ways it could go. And I think that building a giant house on that lot instead of five smaller ones is probably a worse outcome. Um, I don't know that everyone in that neighborhood agrees with me. Yeah. I'm, I also have two that are in different phases but uh, are, are interesting. The first one I mentioned is Sharon Towers. If you don't know where that is, uh, at the intersection of Fairview and Sharon back behind there, the new hotel that was built um, right behind that uh, is, is right senior. behind the shopping center where the original pancake. Oh, great, Richard, sorry, my fault. My yeah, fault. By the Bird King, right? Um, I don't either. So, um, so there's a existing uh, senior living facility there, Sharon Towers, and at a glance, if you see what they're asking to change to, it's right now it's more of a residential thing, and they want to um, pretty extensively increase the campus size and have retail in there. And this is the thing that at a glance, I started saying it this way on purpose at a glance, you're like, Oh man, you know, that's, that sounds like so inconsistent with the plan and a, a terrible idea. But when you hear the president of Sharon Towers talk about this and the vision for what it is and why it's unique, you start to kind of understand, Oh, I, I see, this isn't exactly what I thought it was. And the short version of that plan is right now, um, if the trends continue, the way they make money is they have a spectrum of folks that move in that don't really need assistance. 
they're just they're 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 kind of in the initial phases of the elderly angle and they want to live in a place where they can have access walkability to kind of little services all the way up to folks who are on kind of almost life support and for them they need a balance they they can't have just folks that really require all of that help and care because the business model doesn't become viable so they're okay today but they've seen this this kind of forward trajectory that less and less of the boomers who are now entering that first phase want to live in a place like that. It's kind of walled off and you're there and they want to live and age in place. And then if, so if they lose all those folks and they only have the folks that are there that need complete assistance, they're going to be in a real challenging situation. So their vision is to create, uh, open it up to the community, create a campus. There's a green space. There's a there's going to be retail, but it'll be like an ice cream shop for them to bring their grandkids or different things like that. So when you hear that vision, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But really, the community wrapping their hands heads around this because it is a big it is a big deal. That's something to watch in the future. And then the other one, just quickly, is. This, uh, this development on Reese Road, it's right behind the back of Park Road Shopping Center, and it's already interestingly um, zoned R22MF, which means 22 units per acre. So they can legitimately come in there and put about 19 units by right. But what they want to do is instead of putting condos, uh, they want to put townhouses. And in order to do that, they have to get it rezoned and they have to have some of the space in the yards and different things like that that naturally are required for a townhome to be uh, reduced so they can make it. I think the townhomes make sense because I think the neighbors would like townhomes. They just don't like that amount of density right there in an area that has already a lot of traffic. So the thing I was trying to relay to them in the neighborhood meeting we had last week was I'm here to help support you guys negotiate what the best deal is, but just know that they have told me they're willing to back away from the from the uh, townhouse angle, but they are going to do something there. And they may end up just doing 19 condos. Right. And I think that speaks to something I touched on a little in my Optimus Park thing, something we touched on when we talked about Nolly Court a few months ago, which is it's hard sometimes because we all have these visceral reactions when something happens it's, and it's happening next to my house in Plaza Midwood. Um, we have these visceral reactions to something going from the way we've always known it to something different. Mm -hmm. And so we create a false choice in our minds that our options were the way it always was or the thing that this person has decided they want to do on it. When we really have to consider, to your point, if something's already zoned and it can be done by right, the two options you now have are the thing they're proposing or the thing they could do by right. And that's oftentimes really hard for people who are having this emotional reaction to the change that's taking place in their community again, myself included, sometimes it's hard to say the way you've always known it, that's not one of the options we have now. The options we have are, are B and C. A's gone. And so, you know, and maybe maybe they would rather have condos, but that's the choice they're making. Would they rather have condos or would they rather have townhouses? Well, and, and here's, not to make it more complicated, but the B option of what it could become by right is also further complicated by the fact that you it, you can use it as a I can legitimately do this and would do it if this is voted down, or you may it may not be viable at all and you and it's used as a scare tactic. So I, I you never really truly know in, in each case what it is, but I feel confident based on what what this team of petitioners has told me that they they do think it's valuable and to be right in that spot zoned 
uh, R22 MF, that's pretty significant in itself. So, but that's, that is another challenge. You have to really be able to see through the noise to see what is actually possible if it doesn't go that route. Well, we said we're going to have a short episode. We lied. No, we uh, did. Because we, we can't did. ever, we can't ever speak, uh, with brevity. Couple and, quick. And the mayor popped in. So. Well, that was pretty awesome. Couple quick, uh, questions for you. One, uh, are you sore? I'm not. Uh, we played basketball yesterday. So Warming up. Tark, myself, Smudgy, Matt Newton, Braxton, Winston, all practiced a little bit. Uh, Dr. Harlow was out of town, but we are playing in the city employees basketball tournament. How do you think we're going to do? I don't think well. <laughs> um, but actually, I, I will say there's there's more talent in our group than I think any of us thought. So we, I think we'll have a fighting chance. Yeah. But I've heard like water, solid waste, CMPD, CFD. I've heard they've got some squads, yeah. some bruisers. Yeah. So uh, I hope no one tears a tears an Achilles or something yeah. in this tournament. But I think we got a good sweat yesterday. I felt good about it. And and final question. Uh, we have not buckled to one or two little comments made, but we did decide, coincidentally, well, timing-wise. We'll already heard it by this right, point. It, it, it was time for us to freshen, up the, freshen up the intro. So I realized the other day in one of our meetings when I said, in a world where, and then you said it, and I was like, oh my gosh, you've been able to do this the, the whole time? That's beautiful. So man. we hope that you enjoyed our new movie trailer style introduction to the show today. Yeah. If you didn't, please do not let us know. But we know you will. <laughs> so hope Good. you enjoyed it. Give us some feedback. And uh, for the person who said that that we we blow their ears out every time with the lead in on the Rage Against the Machine and gave us a three star rating, that really hurt our feelings. We hope we can at least earn one more star. Yeah, let's go. Uh, bring least, it back up to five. We listened to your feedback. At least four. Five. Alright. Alright. Have fun with Chase tonight. Yes. And we'll see you all next week. In the books. You're listening to R and D in the QC with Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. <laughs>